Hey, I'm Angela Stevenson and welcome to another special edition of Grounded, a series of podcasts about the effects of the pandemic on general aviation in Australia. This one's a long one, but it's worth it. My guest and I today cover a huge range of COVID-19 pandemic-related issues, including how GA is generally underestimated when it comes to its contribution to the aviation industry, what government and industry participants like you can do, the greater challenge of dealing with CASA and its regulations, how and what AOPA is lobbying our government and CASA for, the unique nature of the industry, privatisation of airfields, and much, much more. So welcome, grab a cup of coffee or set off on your walk. I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Enjoy. Okay, so for this special edition of Grounded, I have Ben Morgan on the phone, Chief Executive Officer of Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association of Australia. I'm really pleased that Ben has taken the time out of what must be an incredibly busy time for the organisation. Thanks so much for agreeing to a chat, Ben, and how are you today? Yeah, look, uh, fantastic, Angela, and it's great to be here. We've been following the good work that you've been doing uh, during this difficult time, which is helping connect our industry uh, to some of the personalities and things that are going on, so well done for that. Oh, thank you. To lay the groundwork for our discussion today, who is it that AOPA represents? Is it people? Is it pilots? Is it GA as an industry, aviation business operators, all of the above? Yeah, look, it is, in fact, all of the above. So uh, AOPA... Uh, was originally formed in 1949 by a group of pilots. Uh, And so these pilots had come together to form an association, not only to be a voice for pilots, but to be an advocate for the growth of aviation and to try and assist industry uh, where possible in identifying opportunities and also working where there are challenges and difficulties. Uh, And we have private pilots, recreational pilots, warbird pilots, glider pilots, Uh, rotary pilots, we have airline pilots, we have maintenance companies like training schools, uh, charter operators and uh, just about everyone that you can imagine that's involved uh, with aviation and so that rich and dynamic membership uh, enables our organisation to uh, speak on behalf of a a broad array of issues and topics uh, at both an industry level, an industry to government level uh, and also you know, not forgetting that we're deeply involved with local government and state government as well. So it's a, a really interesting organisation. It's one of the longest-serving industry associations in this country, uh, and we had a strong working partnership with many of the other industry bodies uh, and associations, um, which we worked through a, a group called the Australian General Aviation Alliance. Let's get to the guts of what it is that AOPA is trying to achieve. What is it that you are asking the government for? Okay. Well, I think, Angela, to answer that question, what we can do is we can take a broad view of what we call the AOPA advocacy agenda, and then we can look more specifically at the issues that we've been focused on uh, with respect to COVID-19. AOPA, for some time, uh, has uh, been advocating and pushing for what we call broad Uh, and meaningful reform of the aviation regulatory system. Uh, And that is the rules and uh, regulatory policies through which the industry operates. Generally speaking, it's AOPA's view on behalf of our members that the Australian aviation industry can be regulated in a a far more efficient and streamlined fashion, reducing uh, the cost of compliance to the industry, but also enhancing and increasing 
uh, the industry's ability to adapt and respond to market opportunities, whilst also maintaining high levels of safety. And I know many within our industry, we cringe when we hear the word safety today, not because we're an unsafe industry or we don't believe in the tenets of safety, but rather safety, unfortunately, has been used to drive uh, oppressive regulatory overreach over the past 30 to 40 years to such an extent that we have um, legitimate activities virtually being um, prohibited and in many cases hindered to a point where their cost effectiveness uh, is just not there. And I guess an example of that would be to look at what happened uh, over the past two years with CAFA's attempt to restrict the angel flight activities, uh, in which we had uh, the government invest a considerable amount of time, effort and energy in attempting to impose regulatory changes on the angel flight sector, claiming that the angel flight sector was in fact dangerous when it is not. Another great example of the advocacy work that we are involved in is our ongoing work around private pilot medicals. Uh, we have, unfortunately in this country, we have a dual standard when it comes to private pilot medicals. We have a situation where if you fly a recreational aircraft, and, and I'll use this example, if I were to jump in a TECNAM that's registered with the RAOs, I can jump in that aeroplane by self-declaring my fitness to fly. Keeping in perspective, that although RAOs is a self-administration, they still have to adhere to core aviation safety regulation, which is set and approved by CASA. And yet I can jump in that same tech van, but it can have a VH registration on it. And for me to fly in the same airspace as the recreational pilot does on a self-declared medical, in the CASA system, I have to jump through hoops and I have to demonstrate my medical fitness through a class two medical application or a class two basic. And so we at AOPA, on behalf of our members, feel uh, that these dual standards are unnecessary. It just creates an unnecessary hurdle and a cost impost to people who would like to fly recreationally, both in the CASA system and also on the RL system. Uh, and so what we advocate, what we do Monday to Friday, is we work behind the scenes in trying to gain both the political support and the regulatory support uh, to make those changes. And of course, aviation is a very difficult issue uh, to have a conversation with any politician about because it's, it's pretty far out there in terms of outside of the normal gamut of what a politician is involved in. You think about your local member, you know, your local member's involved in conversations about jobs in the local area, industry in the local area. Uh, most people, by the time they get to working age, have a, a relatively rounded view and opinion on most of these issues. But if you come along suddenly with an aviation issue, uh, most politicians and, and government representatives get awfully scared of aviation because there's this immediate reaction, which is, oh, God, if I start advocating for a change here, someone's going to get killed, and will I be responsible for it? You know, to achieve significant change for aviation, it takes a very long gestation period of being able to advocate that information, reinforce that information, lobby for support around that information, and then, and then navigate it into a engagement which will lead to change. But then... As, as fast as I say that, we brought together um, the industry's leadership groups uh, into uh, an event that we called the Summit, the General Aviation Summit, which we ran in Wagga Wagga in New South Wales, the, uh, in the electorate of the Minister for Transport, our Deputy Prime Minister, Mr Michael McCormick. And we brought the industry together to work collectively to come to an outcome which the Minister could support. And we did that 
the process worked uh, and the minister was able to move forward with a change. Now, there's been those that have criticised that the change didn't go far enough and that the change needed to be deeper. Uh, and my reaction to that is yes, and all that's probably true, but we did achieve a change to the Act where everybody said it couldn't be done. And we actually demonstrated that that change could happen within a 12-month period, which was unheard of. Advocacy is just this ongoing effort um, and it's, it's sometimes either, it can be either a very easy process or it can be an incredibly complicated process. What things are serious enough to need change right now in the middle of this pandemic? And in what ways should the industry be asking itself how can we embrace this moment to ask for serious change, reimagine or reinvent the industry? Well, look, you know, it's, uh, it's not that we need to reinvent general aviation. And I certainly love the idea of reimagining um, because reimagining is really what it's about. It's about recognising what is being done elsewhere, what is successful, and finding a way that we can insert that success back into the industry. And so we only need to look to the United States, which uh, just before the COVID-19 situation broke loose, the US general aviation industry was actually starting to wind up towards a very serious phase of growth. Uh, and I have got a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues right throughout the United States, uh, and I've spent a lot of time understanding what they're doing in the United States uh, that enables them to adapt so quickly. And one of the fundamental tenets of that is their ability for flight instruction to mobilise quickly. Uh, and the Australian, the Australian system that is being delivered by CASA just does not have the flexibility. Uh, operators spend far too much time being bogged down, having to deal with the regulator. You know, I, I have these operators on the phone venting their frustration that, you know, CASA will conduct a review or an audit. They'll identify that CASA would like something changed in the ops manual. Uh, and the, the operator will say, well, tell me what you want. And CASA will say, oh, we can't tell you that. We'd like to see, you know, A, B and C, but you'll need to go away and formulate that, bring it back to us so we can review it and then we can approve it. And by the way... The operator is paying an hourly rate or a fee for this process. We have a major problem in Australia in that flight instruction is in, is in decline. We can travel around to aero clubs all over Australia and slowly but certainly, aero club by aero club have withdrawn from CASA flight training approvals because they simply cannot afford to maintain the compliancing and the overheads that are required to function within those approval frameworks, and that is your 141, 142 uh, frameworks. And so we only need to look to the RAOs to see that independent flight instructors create growth. And everywhere that an RAOs instructor has been created and they're able to set up and, and start training recreational pilots, we're seeing activity within the industry. Hmm. And so general aviation needs this. We need to look at revitalising the industry. And, and of course, now with COVID-19, uh, post-COVID-19, we are, we are really going to need to look at what we can do uh, from a perspective of kick-starting and re-energising the industry because now it is actually more important than it has ever been before. So in AOPA's lobbying of the government, do you, do you have a list of things that GA needs? What are they and how well developed is the proposal if there is one? Um, we don't have an overarching proposal in terms of this is the start, this is the finish, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to highlight on key issues 
uh, where the deficiencies are and where we think it needs to go. And is the lobbying in regards to the effects of the pandemic or the changes required in general aviation as a whole, or do you see them as one and the same at the moment? Well, as we now move towards a wind-down uh, of the restrictions, I think it's becoming a one-and-the-same issue. We should not be waiting uh, for the whole COVID-19 situation to dissipate before we start thinking about what is going to be the recovery plan. We need to bring the leadership of the industry associations and business community together, and we need to work on a whole-of-industry response with respect to a recovery and what we'll call the revitalisation strategy for general aviation. Um, and unfortunately, we, we're just not seeing traction on this. What we're seeing is the government sitting back saying, well, look, we, we won't, we're not going to really bring everyone together yet because we just don't understand where COVID's going. And, you know, I don't want to be criticising the government, but I just don't agree that that's a strategy that will yield success. Um, even if the COVID situation were to continue, it is imperative that we bring the leadership of the industry together so that we can accurately understand where the pressure and the stresses are for the industry, along with trying to understand what will need to be done uh, to streamline the industry's ability to interact with its regulator and also to streamline the ability for the industry to reinvest back into aviation and get businesses back up and running. So just taking you to the consultation framework for lobbying, who is part of that process and do you or the consulted group and AOPA have a list of what GA needs to communicate to the government? Yeah, we're, we're working through that, absolutely. And so, um, obviously, you know, a key in helping communicate uh, to the government uh, is to be very clear and concise in that. So we're working through those processes. Uh, we have our charter industry uh, and flight training panel, uh, which is chaired by Tammy Camilleri and Alan Middleton. Uh, they are working at the moment with charter operators and flight training companies to look through all the various issues spoken about a whole of industry response. I'd just like to go to that for a moment. The word ecosystem has been used a bit lately to talk about the aviation industry as a whole in Australia, to kind of encapsulate every aspect of it, including RPT, GA and RA. Is it an ecosystem? Can you explain how AOPA sees those relationships? Well, Angela, I think the word ecosystem is right, but it's missing one word, and that is symbiotic ecosystem. The way that aviation, that, an, that a successful, sustainable aviation industry works is that you require a healthy and sustainable flight training industry. You require a healthy and sustainable maintenance industry. You require a healthy and sustainable supply line, vertical supply line industry, parts suppliers, all the bits and pieces. Uh, and you require a healthy private aviation industry and you require a healthy charter industry. If any one sector of the aviation industry falls into significant decline, all other sectors pay a price for it. And this has been one of the, the key issues that AOPA has been discussing over the past four years that I've been involved in. And it's an issue that's often been entirely misunderstood and misrepresented. And that is the position that we've taken in relation to the, uh, 
division that's been created in the aviation industry between recreational and general aviation. Uh, and I know that this is an issue that it just attracts the most interesting responses from people in the industry. And I've been labelled all things because of it. Um, you know, you get your absolute die-hard recreational pilots that consider that if I've even made a comment about RAOs, that I, you know, it's it's an attack. It's not. What it's about is it's about that symbiotic ecosystem and whether what we're doing by by dividing the industry and separating the industry away from itself into these little silos of self-administration where they become their own economy that is actually separate to everything else, whether those actions are actually undermining the overall profitability and sustainability of the general aviation community and industry as a whole. And there is absolutely no doubt, there is absolutely no doubt that the division of recreational away from private aviation has created a devastating body blow uh, to the sustainability of general aviation because we have one system now existing in its own, we'll call it the reality sphere. It operates to its own rules, its own standards. It can pretty much do what it wants. And then the rest of the industry has just been left to fight for its future against a regulator that now uses the recreational as an example of CAS's success, which I actually find awfully weird. I mean, I see the success of recreational aviation as actually being an incredibly sad indictment of the wholesale failure of CASA to reform its regulations to meet the modern needs of aviation in 2020. Because the truth of the situation is, is that RALs actually shouldn't exist. The participants of the aviation industry shouldn't have to pay to participate in aviation as they are currently forced to with RAOs because CASA is actually funded by the Australian public to provide the very regulations that should support what RAOs is doing today. Mm. Now, why is it in the United States, the world's most successful general aviation economy, there is no RAOs? You can fly on a driver's licence. You can get a sport pilot licence. You can you can work on your own aircraft. You can do all those things, but it happens under one central set of regulations. Mm. Pilots are not required to pay a fee to CASA Proprietary Limited, trading as RAOs. They, they're a taxpayer in their country and they're entitled to access to aviation as a, as a natural uh, extension of that. And so I find it, you know, the question to me of the the symbiotic ecosystem is that for aviation to work, we need to be one unified aviation industry and we need all levels of aviation participating. We need sport and recreational aviation, gliding, uh, gyrocopters. We need private general aviation certified aircraft. We need all facets of aviation contributing under the one system, um, which has not been happening uh, to date. And so, you know, I think that, uh, I think the concept... Uh, of uh, of the industry being an ecosystem is probably the best analogy that you can provide. And what I see happening across the aviation industry is um, maintenance companies, for example, uh, are struggling to exist within the aviation industry now because private aviation is being segregated. Uh, you've got people um, no longer wanting to maintain aircraft and move across to RLs where they can work on their own aircraft, so there's less business for the maintainers to look after. Those maintainers have to support the commercial guys without the bread and butter of looking after the private guys. The costs go up even higher for the commercial guys. As more private guys then get out because of those rising costs, the corporate guys have got to pay even more. 
And if you have a look at the cost trends of aviation, Australia's costs of participating in aviation by way of aircraft ownership costs and maintenance costs, insurance costs, we're outpacing just about every other country in the world. And yet we've got one of the best environments for aviation to function. So something's wrong. And I'm not saying this to criticise CASA, and I hope anyone from CASA that's listening to this, I understand and appreciate you can incredibly hard-working people inside of CASA. That does not take away, however, from the fact that CASA as an organisation is dragging its heels on providing reforms to the Australian aviation industry that should have been delivered years ago. So what, what I'm hearing is that it might be the way that the, uh, the structure of the system has evolved with GA and RA that contributes to it being, or contributes to the industry being fragile. However, I suppose I'm trying to understand how AOPA sees the relationship between GA and commercial RPT in order that I can understand how a whole of industry uh, restructure proposal solution might look. Okay, so you know, with, with respect to uh, the commercial industry, the commercial general aviation industry in contrast to the private aviation industry, they are one. Um, and I think... What we, what we were, I guess where we were moving to prior to COVID-19 is we had decided um, coming out of last year after the federal government uh, announced that there would be a Senate RRAT, that's the Rural Regional Affairs Transport Committee, inquiry into the uh, over-regulation of the industry by CASA and the need for reforms. We had organised amongst the Australian General Aviation Alliance partners that we would hold another summit, but this time... The purpose of the summit would not be to drive uh, for a change to the Civil Aviation Act, but rather to look at all the various areas that regulation needs to be improved and streamlined and in some cases removed uh, in order to unlock the industry and allow the industry to move forward. And so uh, that effort, uh, Sport Aircraft Association, AOPA, the Aircraft Maintenance Repair Overhaul Business Association, GFA, a whole lot of us had really got together on that and decided we need to bring the whole industry together, commercial, private, the whole lot, uh, and sit down and start producing a cohesive central regulatory reform argument uh, to, to bring the whole thing together. And so we were really getting excited uh, moving into 2020 that this was the year to bring it all together. And unfortunately, COVID has just dramatically derailed the process. Um, but having said that, uh, I think that the opportunity is now greater than it has ever been because COVID-19 now highlights uh, just how important it is uh, that we get everyone to the table and that we understand the regulatory challenge and the, and the industry structural challenges so that we can obviously build a pathway forward. What about the $1 billion flagged by the government for the aviation industry? Has any of this gone to GA? No. Um, the billion dollars that the government put up was really for the airline industry. Uh, and AOPA was very quick to come out after that announcement and we were the first industry body to say, hang on, what about general aviation? Have you forgotten that there are thousands of hard-working men and women across the entire country that are involved in the small to medium-sized aviation industry that are part of the... Uh, that are essential to the ongoing support and success of aviation? What about them? And the truth of the situation is there has been no direct stimulus uh, to these general aviation operators apart from the job seeker, sorry, job keeper um, stimulus and the PAYG uh, support uh, stimulus, which has been offered through a more broader 
uh, whole of country, whole of government solution. We're, we're an industry that's already under enormous pressure and stress just prior to COVID-19. And then this situation comes along and really kind of undermines the last uh, steric of viability in the industry. And so, you know, it's hard to watch um, the government throw a billion dollars uh, at airlines that are losing money. That way, in some cases, airlines were losing money hand over fist prior to COVID. Uh, and I made the comment to one industry analyst, um, you know, in relation to, uh, I think it was $280 million that was announced for Rex. I said, yeah, $280 million is great for Rex. That's wonderful. Imagine how far $280 million would have gone as direct industries, as a direct industry subsidy to all the small to medium-sized general aviation businesses. And I know Rex is important for our regional travellers, but I have to say what's more important than Rex is our ability to train pilots, our ability to train engineers, and our ability to service and support the grassroots of aviation, that if we allow it to die... It's going to cost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of reinvestment to try and restart it. And so the, the frustration was boiling in me that uh, Qantas appeared to have no problems to get the year of, um, of the minister. Uh, Regional Express had no problems in getting the year of the minister. But for general aviation, we just kind of sat in the back of the queue. And if there was anything left at the end of it, maybe we'd get a look in. And I think that that really, it really typifies the government's attitude both historically and unfortunately today, of how general aviation apparently ranks on their importance scale. And I certainly take no pleasure in making that comment. I'm just trying to be very real about the situation, that it appears that there is a vast lack of appreciation for the investment in general aviation, uh, how hard the thousands of hard-working uh, husband and wife couples and the men and women of, this, of the industry sectors are and their contributions to the overall success of aviation. I think there's a huge ignorance towards that. Hmm. So why should GA get special treatment like the airline industry has? Well, it's a complex question, isn't it? There's no real, you know, there's no smoking gun answer here to say, aha, well, that's the reason. Uh, what I would tender is that the general aviation industry is in an incredibly precarious situation. The government sold out our airports from out underneath us. It no longer has a direct hand uh, in helping nurture aviation from a perspective that businesses once upon a time used to be able to set up on an airfield. They used to be able to rent airfield land for aviation business purposes at rates that made um, their, the businesses or at least provided a pathway for the businesses then to invest in expensive aircraft and assets and maintenance and all the rest of it. Uh, we're now firmly in the hands of the free market and today general aviation is paying the highest cost of participation in the history of manned aviation in this country. And so in this particular crisis, uh, general aviation needs direct assistance. So if we are to continue to pay our leasehold, if we continue to pay our user fees, if we're to continue to afford to participate, uh, then it's logical that there would be a desire to help the business community. And just trying to take you back to what might be on the wish list for GA, when you say help the general aviation businesses through this crisis, what are you proposing that looks like? What other government initiatives or stimulus could work? Many of these small to medium-sized aviation businesses are facing an unprecedented complex challenge. And so... I feel that many of these businesses really need access to professional 
accounting services. They need access to advice and so some form of stimulus around enabling those businesses to access that support would have been beneficial. For those businesses that are located at local government airports, it would have been good for the federal government to call on the state governments, to call on their local governments to ensure that these businesses get direct rental relief. And it's very sad to report that some airports have refused to help. Others have helped. Others have made the process of accessing that help so laborious and bureaucratic with paperwork that operators have just gone, it's not worth my time. I can't navigate this with all this complexity. Uh, And so uh, stimulus for general aviation can be provided in many forms. Uh, It can be provided by way of the government demonstrating clear leadership, calling on state and local governments to do things. Even though there's no power from the feds to force a local council to provide that rental assistance, it certainly would have gone a long way for the Deputy Prime Minister to stand on national television and just explain the plight of these small companies and call on local councils to do their part. Um, we could have seen uh, we could have seen support uh, further support by way of GSP rebating. We could have seen further support by way of fuel uh, fuel rebating. Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't been on the table. And further to this idea of the symbiotic ecosystem, this whole of industry, do you think that it could be said that if GA continues to suffer in the way that it is and suffers significantly more as a result of the pandemic? Will it be like a house of cards for RPT, commercial? Will it suffer a significant knock-on effect? Look, undoubtedly there will be a knock-on effect because it's about skills loss. Um, If we lose the ability to train pilots in Australia because we undermine the financial viability of general aviation, and trust me, we can get to that point. People tell me, you know, Ben, we won't get to that point, we'll always train. Well, we're getting to a point where training a pilot in Australia is amongst the most expensive nations in the world to obtain your pilot flight. Something's broken, right? Something's broken, and we've got to take a look at how we fix that. So um, if we see general aviation fail on a large scale, then what we see is we see a lot of general aviation tourism companies disappear. We see a lot of small general aviation charter companies disappear. Uh, We see a lot of the maintenance companies fold up because the work's no longer there. We see all the supply line businesses disappear. Now, we only need to take a look at what's happened at Bankstown Airport. All the the support businesses are disappearing. And what's been driving that is just unsustainable increases in rent. Now, the airport operator will tell you they're being entirely reasonable. No, 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 we're charging comparative rates. Well, you may well be. They may well be comparative to other commercial industrials. The problem is... Other commercial industrial businesses don't have the operating overheads that aviation businesses do. And if we can't afford to be in business and and COVID-19 is the last straw that breaks the camel's proverbial back, uh, then yes, there will be be a dramatic dramatic knock-on effect. And this is where I see the failure. This is where I see the industry side failure in the system. And that is obviously regulatory, that's very important. But from the industry's perspective ourselves, you know, we've got domestic airlines, we've got regional, domestic and international airlines in Australia. You would think, you would think that there's a relationship between the airlines and general aviation regarding pilot supply. But there's none. There is no coordinated relationship. And I think largely there's a sentiment right across the industry that the airlines have taken advantage of general aviation for many decades. They've been happy to take when they want to take. Uh, but the question really is, what have they put back? 
And, you know, and I have to ask that question of myself as well. What, what is it that Qantas has put back into general aviation? You know, I can't really mm. think of anything that they've put in. Yes, they create opportunities for pilots, but that's obviously because they're an airline and they need pilots to fly. So that's not exactly something they're putting back into aviation. And, of course, you know, and many of our schools are geared up. Uh, I, I would have thought that the best way for the airlines... Uh, to move forward in the Australian economy would be for them to build direct and meaningful relationships, not with their own flight training academies, but to go out to all of the commercial flight training schools and to say, hey, we, we annually need so many pilots. You know, we'd like to give each of your schools the opportunity of some direct entry if your students can get to this point. That, to me, is a logical, uh, a logical relationship. But instead of those relationships being formed, what we found was that the airlines just simply wanted to bypass general aviation and they just wanted to be able to pull those pilots in from overseas. So what needs to happen? What needs to be revisited or changed or put on that wish list? What needs to be put in place now? There needs to be a better relationship. I mean, one of the things that I've... Um, often discussed, Angela, is that I think that moving forward we've learnt some amazing lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think that what actually needs to happen is we we need the federal government to form an an Australian Aviation Industry Future Fund. And I don't feel it is unreasonable that all domestic and international airfares sold in and out of Australia should carry with it a $2, a $2 future fund contribution. Now, it used to be that the Australian government owned all the airports. And so the government was able to provide an effective subsidy to the aviation industry, which was to ensure that we had access to airports at affordable rates to nurture the industry and to encourage the development of aviation. Well, the government doesn't own the airports anymore. And so I think we need to create a long-term aviation industry future fund in which the travelling public contribute towards the uh, general aviation industry, understanding that the general aviation industry is intrinsic to the overall system. And that for many communities right across Australia, they're not serviced by Rex, they're not serviced by Virgin, and they're not serviced by Qantas, they're serviced by general aviation and the subsequent brands that are involved in GA. And what COVID-19 has highlighted is that when something like this happens, the government just doesn't have the spare money sitting there to, to help small business through. How effective would it have been if the Aviation Future Fund had had $500 million sitting in the bank and the industry had the ability to apply for some of that $500 million to help the industry through, to protect the industry from these collapses that, unfortunately, we're, we will experience? I mean, we've got other challenges, too, that affect the aviation industry. I mean, Angela, we've got a huge problem in that. How do you raise capital? You know, say, for example, I set up a business. I'll just use Bankstown as an example. Yes, and I need to buy five $1 million training aeroplanes. But the lenders in Australia want to use your home. The lenders in Australia don't want to provide extended um, mortgage periods, which will allow you to amortise the cost of those aircraft over a, a lengthy period. And as a consequence of that, uh, it makes it much, much harder for these businesses to invest. The other side of it, of course, is that because you never own the buildings, the buildings get nothing spent on them. And so the look and feel of the industry is run down because no one owns the buildings and no one, no business is going to go plough hundreds of thousands of dollars into a structure that you just don't own. Mm. Why would you do it? Mm. And so these are all part of the problem. And so I really feel 
that the only way that we're ever going to start to get to the bottom of this is to look at the possibility of a, of a, um, a royal commission into the way in which the industry has been managed by government and regulator, and that all of these issues can be put into contrast and can be analysed and can be looked at in terms of what the long-term impacts have been. And I think that there really needs to be a commission into the privatisation of the airports and the damage that's done to the aviation industry because that and the over-regulation of aviation has really been the death knell uh, of GA because we've made aviation unaffordable and unaccessible. You've outlined a number of reasons there as to why general aviation is unique and suffers from major industry-specific challenges and the symbiotic nature of its relationships with RPT commercial and that this is why it needs financial assistance. However, Wendy Mann from Week 3 knows the full extent of the reliance of her operation on inbound Chinese tourism. How can the international tourism industry come back as an essential part of that ecosystem? Australia is relatively unique in that the vast majority of tourists arrive by air, and we'll ignore the cruise ships here, when 400 people are within such close confines on a jet for 12 hours, there's no vaccine, there's no treatment, and as everyone's pointing out, it's inherently difficult to socially distance on a plane. How can our international airline industry tourism rebound so that our GA operators will have tourists to fill up their seats on planes? Look, Angela, this is the really hard and difficult part of this of the whole COVID-19 situation is that without a vaccine or some inoculation, it is very difficult to imagine that international travel will just restart. Mm. I was talking with representatives in Western Australia today and we were, we were commenting on the fact that the Western Australian and Queensland governments uh, are both stressing that they do not really want to open their borders until there's some sort of vaccine. I think external to the restarting, and that's certainly going to be a challenge, and I think that it would be foolish to think that the gates are just going to open before the end of 2020. I get the sense that things will be a staged reintroduction as we move into third quarter 2020. Um, I think more structurally on this issue is that what we're experiencing in Australia is not unique to Australia and that it's currently going on in every country around the world. And I think there's a bigger question at play, and that is, will businesses be so prepared to send their staff on international travel with the risk that a staff member may become infected and therefore the liability for that infection becomes a responsibility of the workplace health practices of the company? These are really complex questions that we're, we're in a whole new world in respect to this, and I think that we're going to see a whole new level of workplace health and safety regulations evolve over the next 12 months. So that's one issue. I think a secondary issue here is that let's look at the global travel market and let's understand that a huge portion of travellers are retirees, people who've got the uh, retirement funds together and they've made it their life ambition to do some travel and see the world. How likely is it that the age group which are most susceptible to a fatality from this disease, the virus, how likely is it that these people are going to rush to climb on an airliner to travel around the world and, and go touring? Mm. I think it's unlikely. I mm. think that what we're going to see is we're going to see that the international travel markets will be a very soft um, rebound and it will take a considerable amount of time before we're back up and going 
at pace. Now, for our general aviation industry, the impact of this, of course, is that if you've built your business around inbound tourism, a lot of operators down the Western Australian coast and up around Queensland are very dependent on Asian uh, tourism uh, from China and other areas of Southeast Asia. Um, there's a problem here. And the problem is that they may not have the tourism numbers anywhere near the tourism numbers that they once had. So uh, there's going to be a reshaping of general aviation as a consequence of just the tourism element alone. Uh, and there certainly will be a reshaping of um, general aviation with respect to business travel as well. So how can the government or industry reshape general aviation? Well, look, I think the government has some options available to it. Uh, and one of the options that we've been trying to explore this last month is um, looking at ways in which we can retask aviation. Uh, and so, Angela, you're probably aware that, that Australia Post was desperately in need of additional um, air freight uh, servicing. Uh, and so IOPA took the initiative to reach out to Australia Post CEO and to have a conversation about how Australia Post and IOPA could work together to try and build a way in which general aviation could play a new but ongoing role to supplement Australia Post's main Star Trek freight um, services to ensure that AusPost could deliver product uh, and, um, and service into remote and regional Australia. Now, we actually participated in a meeting with, uh, with their organisation and we've found that there are some opportunities there and we're currently working through that. There is a logical and sensible pathway here for the government uh, to provide additional supplemental funding to Australia Post and for that funding to be used to provide supply contracts to small to medium-sized general aviation charter operators. The general aviation industry doesn't want free money. What we want is we want work. We want work and opportunity. We want to be able to put our aircraft to work, put our pilots to work, put our industry to work. And so this is just an example. It's one example. We feel there are many of these examples. If we were to sit down with government and have a look at all the various uh, areas of government interaction that general aviation could actually be involved in, I think that you would find that there's you know, potentially over a billion dollars worth of activity that Australian general aviation could fulfil. And I think that the COVID-19 situation has certainly highlighted that there's a need from the government to consider building those relationships because it's a way of the government future-proofing the industry to ensure that during tough times, uh, the industry's there. Mm. So who do, you, uh, who do you want to see come to the table out of the government? Who do you want to be there? Well, I think, uh, number one, we need the Deputy Prime Minister's advisers. Uh, number two, we need uh, the leadership team from CASA. We need the leadership team from Air Services. We need the leadership team from the ATSB. Um, we need the leadership team from the, uh, the Department of Infrastructure. Uh, and we also need the leadership teams of all the industry bodies and associations. I think it's time now. You know, instead of the industry running the summit, I think the government needs to do this. Uh, but I think more importantly, it's not just about bringing the industry together. It's about, it's about road marking uh, that the government is going to push through a rapid period of broad change to bring about reform that will help restart the industry. But the only way that, both, uh, that the government is going to ever have a chance of understanding what needs to be done is not rely on CASA to tell them, because frankly, I just don't believe that that's been a recipe for success over the last 30 years, 
I think that the government needs to bring the industry in and it needs to have that direct relationship and we need to have an honest and frank appraisal of what's working and what's not working. And I think that what we now need to do is we need to put all the options on the table and we need to look at what look at taking a clean sheet approach uh, to get the job done. And if it means adopting parts of the US regulations, let's get it done. Let's end the decade uh, of you know calls from industry. Let's just get it done. Let's move the industry forward. I just, from my, our perspective, what we feel is that we have an opportunity. Uh, to bring together the leadership, which will also include business leaders uh, and, uh, and notables within the industry, it's now time for a church of opinion and discussion to take place. And it can only be healthy. And I don't think we should be waiting. I think we should start this process as early as we possibly can because there's both things we can be doing now and things we can be doing into the future to try and help industry. So what do you want AOPEN members to do to get behind this? Should there be a mass action, a coordinated effort? What would this look like? How can every participant in the industry take action in order to be effective? Look, Angela, the first thing that AOPEN needs, and it's obviously the most difficult time in the world to be able to make this statement, but you know what we need is we need the industry to be members. And I would say this to the industry. Have a look at what AOPA has done for the general aviation industry in the last four years alone. We drove instrumental changes to the private pilot medical system. We drove instrumental changes to the, uh, to the Civil Aviation Act. We have tirelessly advocated against the closure of airports and we have defended airports against runway closures and incursions and non-aviation development. And so the work that we do on behalf of the industry is for all pilots, all aircraft owners, regardless of which sector you're in. If you need support, if you need things advocating for, if you would like to see changes to your aviation system, we need you to work with us so that we can make our our advocacy far more powerful uh, and far more effective. So that's the first thing I would say. And I understand that right now it's an extremely difficult time for people uh, in business and so the cost of a membership is not exactly uh, high on their priority. And what I would say to anybody, if you're a business and you'd like to support AOPA and right now your business is doing it tough, uh, if you give me a call, uh, and I'm happy to share my mobile phone number, Angela, if they would just contact me on 0415 If you call me, and you have a conversation, I'll be more than happy to provide a, a, uh, a 12-month introductory membership to any general aviation business uh, that wants to become involved with AOPA but right now is facing difficulty, we will work with you. The second thing that needs to happen is we need to mobilise uh, the aviation industry on the issues that we are working on to ensure that everybody's local members are aware of the issues and are aware of the advocacy that's happening at that time and the changes that we need. The third thing that needs to happen is we need to make CASA aware that the industry wants change and that the industry needs change. Um, It will not hurt if every single operator in the country, every single pilot in the country, drafts a letter to the Deputy Prime Minister's office, including it to Shane Carmody as the Director of Aviation Safety, and explains that you know, we're not happy with how the industry has been managed by, by CASA and that we're calling on the government to initiate a thorough industry-wide review uh, to, to get it right and for that review to work with everybody. And I'm happy to put a letter out if people would like some guidance on how we do that. And I know that many across the industry are 
get deeply worried about standing up and voicing their concerns because victimisation has definitely happened in the past. Mm. Um, and what I say to them is, you are not voiceless. You can come to AOVA. You can show us what's going on and we will pick those issues up and we will advocate uh, to have those issues rectified as best we can. Just regarding CASA, CASA's actions in offering exemptions to some requirements has been roundly applauded by the industry. Do you think CASA did enough? Well, I commend CASA for um, announcing that they would provide the exemptions that they did and in some cases waive the fees, but I feel uh, that it really, at this point in time and given the gravity of the impacts of COVID-19, that CASA should be waiving all fees and charges in connections with its services and it should be doing everything above and beyond to ensure that pilots who require extensions on medicals uh, extensions on maintenance, you name it, CASA should be going out of their way to facilitate it, to support the industry and to demonstrate its commitment to general aviation. And there was a lot of confusion earlier, there still is, about whether recreational flying could happen or not. Um, it seems no matter of trying, and I did try myself to get clarification on this uh, through the Deputy Prime Minister's office, who simply handballed it, that there is, it appears there's, there's no definitive answer. What was AOPA's view? Could some people fly safely within the social distancing restrictions or not? In some cases, yes, and in some cases, no. The problem with it is that aviation as an activity is governed by Commonwealth legislation. And so aviation is managed by CASA. It's a Commonwealth body. There are no restrictions. CASA has placed no restrictions on any flying and any activity. Having said that, the various states impose social distancing and movement restrictions. And so as a consequence of those, it created a lot of confusion as to what could and what could not happen. Uh, the advice that we gave many pilots during this period was if they had a good relationship with their local police office, was to go down and explain to the police office that they needed to conduct a flight in order to maintain the currency of their licence, that they would do it as, as pilot in command with no passenger, that the flight would be conducted in the local area, that they would be taking off and landing at the local airport and that they would not come into contact with any person to conduct that flight. And obviously local policing outfits were able to inform whether they had been specifically told whether that activity had been uh, prohibited or not. I'm very happy to be able to report that many of the local policing outfits supported those activities and it gave the police the ability then to respond to any calls from locals saying why is there flying going on. Um, I think that the main argument in all of this was to ensure that social distancing and an accountability for unnecessary interaction was put in place. Um, but I think that uh, as I've probably alluded in other parts of the conversation, that aviation is often misunderstood or not understood at all, and that if you're flying on your own, in some many cases you can go out and get your aircraft, conduct your flight, and not have any interaction with anyone. Uh, and so, a unique, a unique, a unique situation where each of the states have had their own restrictions. Of course, Queensland and WA are having their borders closed off, you can't fly into those states. Uh, and I am aware of operators who've been flying into and out of these states who have been visited by representatives of their state health departments and are now answering inquiries. So uh, I certainly am not encouraging anyone to go fly unnecessarily. Um, however, if you need to conduct a flight for the purpose of maintaining your licence uh, or for engine maintenance, 
I'd encourage you to go down and have a conversation with your local police station, explain the safety nature of those flights and the fact that you can you will not be coming into contact with anyone and if the police are happy to let you go, then go do it. Mm. I suppose my my question was to whether or not you were able to obtain a definitive answer from anywhere and it seems that you, you were sort of no. ended up in the same boat as me. No, the Deputy Prime Minister's office has been quite absent in providing any absolute guidance on the issue, which we're very disappointed with. What could have been done better? One of the criticisms in this process, and I think it's important to make this comment, is that um, obviously with the pandemic and other natural disasters and emergencies, it's absolutely critical from the federal government perspective that they establish a unified communications framework uh, and I think one of the areas of improvement here that I think the federal government didn't necessarily get right was that it appears that each state had its own strategy with regard to health restrictions on the aviation industry. Uh, and I don't feel that there was enough coordination there. And I know that the industry was virtually left to itself uh, to try and determine what was right and what was wrong. And I just don't believe that that's an appropriate outcome. I think that... You know, CASA could have easily been tasked to coordinate with the various states to communicate the safety needs for pilots to conduct their um, flights, but we didn't see any of that happen. And again, this is where I come back to my argument that, you know, CASA just don't see themselves as playing that role. They don't see themselves as being intrinsically involved in keeping aviation going. They see themselves as a safety regulator, and so their only job is to make sure there's rules. And I think that has to change. I think that we need to have the regulator more intimately involved uh, on issues like this and showing, uh, you know, showing the industry clear information on what can and can't be done. It's worth mentioning that in New Zealand, the Stage 4 restrictions specifically noted recreational flying and said, nope, not happening. Uh, and now they've gone back to Stage 3. And again, they have specifically mentioned recreational flying, saying, yes, it can happen provided your airport is within 30 minutes travel of your home. Are they the sorts of clear directives that could have helped? I think on the whole, look, I don't want to criticise the Australian government's response to COVID-19 because no other government has ever faced it. There definitely needs to be a post-COVID-19 review of the government response. And I certainly would like to make a submission to any review of that nature to highlight that from an aviation industry perspective uh, we needed clear information and we just weren't given it and that created enormous confusion and frustration and stress at a time when you know really we would have liked to have avoided that. Uh, boating is now a permitted activity in some states will AOPA take up the cause to see that recreational flying is mentioned specifically like in Queensland and Western Australia as a permitted activity? We're pushing at the moment through the Minister's Advisory Panel's to the Deputy Prime Minister's Aviation Advisor uh, and to a whole platform of politicians who are working behind the scenes. So as soon as we can get some information out, we're going to be doing that. And almost finally, what, what positives can you see emerging? Gee, that's tough. Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer it. <laughs> but it's really hard, Angela. You know, sometimes people say, oh, geez, Ben, you know, you, you always talk of negative stuff. I thought, like, well, shit, that's what I do. Like, my job is to look at the things that aren't working and, and work out how we get it working right. In terms of positive, I think that um, undoubtedly what COVID-19 has done is it has triggered a process by which we are all reviewing how we work, how we function, what we need and what we don't need. Uh, and I think that 
like all other industries, it's changed the shape of aviation. And undoubtedly, the aviation businesses that emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic will be more agile, streamlined and efficient. Um, I know that we've found ways to do things remote that we previously thought were impossible and it's given rise to the question of whether we can continue to do that on an ongoing basis and save uh, the costs of having uh, our fixed space at Bankstown Airport. Uh, and I'm sure that for many of the businesses it will be exactly the same. Now we're remote, we're doing all kinds of remote learning, we're doing all kinds of remote meetings. Uh, I think that it will, it will definitely change the shape of how we do business. I, I'm also... Uh, would think that it will change. Uh, it'll change the way in which other facets um, of aviation regulation work. I'm sure there's ways that CASA could now uh, do more by way of remote video conferencing with operators where previously maybe that wasn't happening. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a process by which we've all been able to think about our businesses and think about how we do business trading from it. So, out of this incredible shock to the system. Have you any words for everyone in the middle of it? You're probably right. It has been a, a very shocking experience that no one could have really understood just how wide, how fast and how uh, devastating it would be for the global economy. And But in the same context of saying, oh, wow, this is horrible, there will be great opportunity that will come from this. You know, it, just like a bushfire, you know, we, and we've been through this. You know, bushfires are just the most horrific thing. They rip through communities and they tear through national forests and all we can think about at the time is the devastation it wreaks. But the thing is, nature has a way of regenerating and when it regenerates, the growth you get after bushfire is phenomenal. Right? And I think that what will happen after the COVID-19 is that it'll take a little bit of time, but once the regrowth starts, I think what it'll do is it'll really push uh, you know, the next hour wave of growth for a period. So mm. I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I, you know, my comment to people whose businesses are suffering right now is it's always darkest before dawn and, uh, and just hunker in. You know, we will get through this as an industry and uh, we will get to the other side of it. And, you know, any business that needs support or help, uh, pick up the phone. If you need something, give us a call. We're here to try and do what we can to help you. Um, you know, we're all in this together. So we are ready to wrap it up now, but before you go, Ben, do you have any questions for the government, for CASA, for the industry, something else to discuss? Um, I, look, Angela, I don't have questions. I, I think if I was to make a statement, the statement would simply be uh, that we have everything to gain from working together to the betterment of this industry. We've got everything to gain from questioning each other and from challenging what we do to ensure that the decisions that are made and the outcomes that are achieved are the very best decisions that we can achieve for our industry. And I would just encourage the government and CASA to look beyond, look beyond the conflict of criticism and disagreement and to embrace the opportunity to create significant positive change because, after all, if we can achieve this change, we better Australia. And there can be no higher ambition and no higher goal than making the, the Australian aviation industry as successful as we can make it. And I know that our organisation, AOPA, and I know that our fellow associations and our partners in the Australian General Aviation Alliance, we are all at the ready to do that. 
All we want is to see this industry fire on all cylinders and succeed and create opportunity and create jobs and to create a future. And I just hope uh, that we can arrive at a time where our regulator and our government can embrace that. Because when we do, we will set fire to the future and we will create opportunity like has never been created before and we can all sit back at that moment and we can be incredibly proud of what, we cre what we've created. So that would be my statement. Thank you, Ben. I can't tell you how much it's been wonderful to have a conversation. Um, thank you for participating. Thank you for being transparent. Thank you for being with me today, having this chat. Thank you, Angela. You're welcome. And that was Ben Morgan, CEO of Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association Australia. Well, that was a marathon. <laughs> Thanks for staying with us. I'm Angela Stevenson, and this was a special edition of Grounded for Right Speak Fly. There is a bigger conversation still to be had with Ben about CASA and how some radical structural change might help us all back to the new future. If you've got any discussion points that you'd like to raise, head on over to www.rightspeakfly.com forward slash grounded and find the comments section for this special edition. I'm in complete agreement with Ben. We are so lucky to be in this industry. Spread your wings, spread the love of aviation, and never forget, you can always go round.